0: Hey, welcome to the Zoe Church Podcast. want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in every week, shares the link. Zoe is a church that is about Jesus, for Jesus. We preach Jesus. So every time you share the link, you're sending Jesus to someone. Today we're really excited because we are going back into our Go Low series for a message. Called the Value of the Valley. We can't wait for you to hear it. Why don't you check this out? And we're going to continue in a series we've been in uh, for a while now. I think maybe this is our fourth or, or fifth week in the series. It's called Go Low. Everyone say Go Low. Go low. low, low. I just every time I want to apple bottom jeans. This uh, this series is the whole thing. We're in a series called Go Low, and really what we're talking about is we're talking about pride versus humility. And living a life that honors God is a life lived with humility and not with with pride. See, pride is trying to um, make your ways above another's ways and ultimately above God's ways. Pride is the thing that wants us to take control of our life, us to take control of our situation. Humility, if I can give you a quick definition. The definition of humility is letting God be your God. Not just letting God be God, because that's easy, right? I want God to be my neighbor's God because my neighbor leaves out their trash cans on the on the street for an extra day. Like, God, speak to their heart. God, fix their attitude. God, do something in them. But I, 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 I think I got it under control for myself. Humility says, God, I'm going to let you be my God. See, uh, if, if we get to the end of the series and all you realize is how bad pride is, You'll never get to the prize of what truly the mission of God is for your life, and that's humility. See, humility, it's not just like a byproduct of pride. Like, okay, I'm not going to be prideful, so now I guess I'm left with this humble pie, and it's not even that good. There's nothing exciting about it, so why would I be humble in the first place? At least with pride, there's like a little flash with it. But humility... If I can convince you today, it's not just the leftovers of pride. Humility is the fuel in which God can do the miraculous in your life. Humility says, God, I'm going to let go and I'm going to allow you to do what only you can do in my life. God, I'm going to surrender control because I know in my hands, I can only live up to my potential. But in your hands, in in humility, I can live up to your promise. Can I convince you today that your highest potential Only looks good to you. But when you live in God's promise, which is where our potential ends, all of a sudden your life takes on a whole other level, a whole, a scale that you could never pray for or ask for, but at the end of the day you can only give credit to God for. I want to convince you today to To go low. I want to convince you today to take the path of humility, not the path of pride. Look, pride looks good for a little bit, but it will never sustain you. Humility will carry you through eternity. See, uh, the, the problem with pride is that all of us face it every day. Sin, in and of itself, it, it, sin is this idea that you've missed the mark, that God has created a standard for your life, and whenever you miss that standard, that's what sin is. Pride wants us to constantly reevaluate that standard to the one that we can fit inside of. And so we try to, isn't it interesting, ever since God made us in our image, we've tried to create him in ours, or sorry, in his image, we've tried to create him in ours. So now God is this small God, this puny God, this tiny God, as if we need to take control because he doesn't have the power to do so. I want to convince you today that God's grace shines the brightest, that God's power, God's mercy, God's love is seen the most, not at the peaks of pride, but in the valleys of humility. Amen? If you have your Bibles, and I know probably not a lot of us carry around Bibles anymore, that's okay. Go to Psalm chapter 23, and uh, we're going to read today probably one of the top five most famous scriptures of all time. Like we have John three sixteen, I think that's the goat that's like on the, that's the top. That's, you know, it's the one. And then we have like, you know, maybe this, this uh, chapter right here, right? Psalm chapter 23 it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no devil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Certainly. Goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life, and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Come on, every time I read the part, yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I just feel like I got to kind of like wrap it a little bit, you know? <laughs> you want me to do it? No, no, okay. <laughs> it's like, yeah, like the loudest the room gets is in that moment. Okay. Okay. Uh, if you're taking notes today, and hopefully you don't have to have a Bible to take notes, you can write it in your phone. Write down today's uh, title, The Value of the Valley. Amen. The Value of the Valley. And um, I want to break down this scripture for us a little bit. It's not just a lyric. It's not just like probably the number one most quoted uh, scripture in entertainment, but it is a scripture that's full and powerful and teaches us that there's There's value in the valley. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you so much that even in our lowest moments, even in the valleys of our life, you're with us. You sustain us. You lift us up. God, teach us today how to let you be the Lord of our lives. We don't want to do this on our own. We can only get so far. But God, teach us today how to be humble. Teach us what humility looks like for us. God, would you receive all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everyone said together, amen. amen. Okay, I have a quick question for us, and um, I'll say it like this. There's two people in the world. There's value shoppers, and there's people who will buy the thing with the highest price tag. Uh, does anyone, in, just a show of hands in the room, does anyone, are you the value shopper in the room? Okay. Now point to the person that's, I'm just kidding, like the spouse's. Uh, I'll show you the account later. These taxes are crazy. <laughs> well, I, I love a good value situation, right? Like I want the best value. I want the biggest bang for my buck. I want the, the, the right deal. I want the value menu, okay? Like, I'm not going to get the Big Mac unless it's on the McDonald's app and there's like buy one, get one. Like I want the best value. I, I'm in the value menu. That, that's me, okay? I want... I want to pay you a dollar and get $10 worth of value back. That's that's what I'm looking for. I used to dislike this about, uh, you know, my parents growing up. They cared about value as well. And I just wanted the, the nice stuff. Now that I have two kids in their wild, I see value in value. I want to convince you today that the valley has more value in your life than the peak does. That the valley, if you can if you can start to see it the way God has prepared it for you, the lowest moments in your life, the the times that feel the darkest, the times that feel like it's hardest to see God, the, the, the moments in your life where tears are quick to come to your face, that God has the most value in those moments for your life, that God does his best work in the valley. But the problem is the valley is not pretty, and pride would convince us the goal of our life is the peak and not the valley. I never scrolled through Instagram and saw people posting the valley of Yosemite, just the peaks. Right? I used to be a landscape photographer, and so I would go and travel to these incredible mountains and these national parks, and you know we would do the hikes and we'd get to the places, uh, and I would take the photos of the peaks. Because you could see the farthest. It would look the, it would look the most beautiful. And I, I would get like, you know, hundreds of photos. And then for the next month, all I'm doing is posting photos of the peak, even though I'm living in the valley. And so what pride tries to do is get you to convince people that you're at the peak when really you're living in the valley. So like we see this all the time, right? People, at this point, this is common knowledge. People post their highlights, not their low lights. But there's something about us that wants us to live up to that moment, compared to that moment, make that the standard of our life. And so everyone else's peaks become our trajectory. And I remember my first hike. I didn't look like this. It's a little bit more in shape. I still have shape, just not the, uh, the shape I'm going for. More like a hill shape than a mountain. Um, I remember my first hike. And it was difficult. Like my wife, she's the hiker, and I'm—I was not the hiker. I didn't want anything to do with it. I didn't want to put on hiking shoes. I I think I did a whole hike, you know, miles up this this mountain with like basketball shoes on, and I was not ready for it. And I remember getting to the top of this hike and seeing the view, and it took my breath away. My breath—I was already out of breath, but but the remainder. (laughs) <laughs> i remember looking out being like this is insane i've never seen a view like this and then in about five minutes that reaction started to fade away and i realized dang we got to go back down the mountain now and i'm already hungry I already ate my pb and j already ate my string cheese it was lukewarm disgusting i brought a juice box like i was seven years old you know i'm like, And I realized really quickly, at the top of this mountain, there there were no buildings. There was no restaurant. There was no homes. There was nowhere for life to happen, just a view to see. I had to go back down the mountain into the valley to find where life would happen. To find where health could be found. For food to be found. For community to be found. On the top of the mountain, the air was thinner. It was harder for me to breathe. It was harder for me to catch my breath. The wind was whipping around. There was nowhere for me to hide from it. The sun was pounding on us. There's no shade for us to have. But for some reason, we think that the peak is is where we should settle. I'm here to convince you the value of the peak is the perspective to see where your next valley is going to be. I'm not saying that the peak doesn't have value. The peak does. It's, it's for a moment, not for a lifetime. Jesus would go up to the peak, and in, the, in, in those moments, God would encounter Jesus. His father would encounter him and things would happen, right? We had the transfiguration, and Jesus was transformed. Or Jesus did a sermon on the mount, and he began to talk in such a way that once you came off the mount, this was the life that you're supposed to live. All throughout scripture, Moses goes to the top of the mountain. God gives him the Ten Commandments so he could take it down off of the mountain to live his life. Elijah goes to the mountain to hear the voice of God. Once he hears it, he goes back down the mountain in order to live out a life that honors God, a life full of power and of grace and of mercy. But pride says, if you can just live on the top, then everyone else on their way up will see that you're the one up there. Pride just says, I don't need anything else that the valley can give me. The goal is the peak. I want to give you four ways to find value in the valley because I'm convinced that life is not meant to be lived on the peak. It's meant to be lived in the valley. And if we can embrace the low moments in our life then we can see that they are not low moments at all. They're the moments that give us the power and the energy in the life to gain more perspective in the moment at the peak. Uh, Write down point number one. So point number one, God is my shepherd. I can let him provide. God is my shepherd. I can let him provide. I love uh, the entire chapter starts with this. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I will not be in need. Now, let's break that down just real fast. The first verse, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in need. Notice the first part. The Lord is my shepherd. It's present tense. David is declaring it. God is my shepherd. He's the one who provides for me. In fact, God is my shepherd. He led me into this valley. I'm in this valley because my shepherd led me here. Maybe you're in a valley season and you're like, God, how in the world did I end up here? All my friends told me NFTs were the future. How come there's nothing in my bank account? God, you told me crypto was the way. I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. Notice here, though, David is not in a panic. He's my shepherd right now. And wherever I am, he's my shepherd. So I'm in the right place. See, maybe you're in a valley, but you don't understand that God is the one that's led you there. And so you see the shadows of the peaks around you and you're terrified. You're scared, you're intimidated, you're nervous, you're not sure what's going to happen. And just like me, when that happens and we don't understand that God is our shepherd, we try to make a way for ourselves. Well, I don't, my bank account doesn't look right, so now it's time for me to hustle, grind, and provide for myself. Certainly God hasn't done it yet. But then the next part of this, I love what it says, in, in, in the second part of chapter, uh, verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not be in need. So not only is David recognizing that if God is his shepherd now, he'll provide for him, but if God is his shepherd now, he'll provide for him in the future as well. I will not be in need. I have a, I have a, I have a, a question that probably if you're like me Have you ever worried about the future of your life? Have you ever worried about the vision, the direction, the finances, your family, your relationships? Have you ever worried about the economy? Have you ever worried about what's coming up? I don't know about you. I see articles all the time on my Instagram, on on my TikTok. I'm not on Twitter anymore. I got a new phone and I can't sign back in. It's frustrating. But I'd be there if I could. It's just. Headline after headline after headline. Get ready, times are going to be tough. What if I told you that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever? And if He provided for them then, God can provide for you now, God can provide for you in the future. David sets up this entire piece of scripture and he lays it out God is my shepherd. I will have no need, and then he begins his argument, trying to convince you that this is the case for you. And so he begins to talk, and he says, in fact, he's my shepherd, and he he guides me to green grass into quiet waters. A shepherd's job is to lead his flock to green grass into clear water so that they can be fed and made fat and healthy, and to drink water so they can be refreshed and get a lot of wool. Right? You ever seen sheep, a lot of wool, so they can shear them? See, God's, uh, how do I say it? God is your good shepherd. And if you let him lead you, he will allow you to go to places where he will always sustain you with what you need and refresh you with rest and comfort and peace. But pride wants you to be your own shepherd. Like pride says, okay, Uh, cool. I don't want to be a sheep. Uh, I want to be a wolf. I want to go out and hunt. I want to go out and provide for myself. I want to make a way for myself. And the problem is, is that you can do that. You can go out and provide an incredible life for yourself on paper. You can get the riches you can get the home, you can get the status, you can get the following 15 bucks on Meta, you can get verified, $8 on Twitter, you can get verified. You're good to go. You can do it. You can get the status. Pride will allow you to get the resource but not the fulfillment. And so you can have a full bank account and still feel bankrupt. You can have the mansion and still feel insecure. You can have the people around you and still feel lonely. Because pride is, it's a facade. Pride, it's only, it's taking pictures of the peak when you're living in the valley. Humility says, God, I'm going to allow you to be God. And watch this, God will give you the resource and the fulfillment. God will give you the resource. And in that moment, you can only point to one person for providing for you. If it's on your bill and if it's on your dime, you're going to fail yourself. You're going to fail your family. And um, ultimately, if you put it on someone else, they're going to fail you as well. So we allow God to be our shepherd and we let him provide. And let me tell you right now, it's scary letting God provide. Like we hear stories all the time. And this is the exception. I don't know. This is not my everyday life. Well, I prayed, and I really needed it, because I got in a car accident, and then when they were towing my car, a Tesla software went haywire and hit that car, and now I don't have any insurance, and I need God to show up, and it was crazy, the other, the other day, I opened up my mailbox, and there was $50,000, and it's like we hear stories like that, and so we expect God to give us the lotto, instead of sustaining us for our bills, like, God, I got my bills, I'll take care of that. You just give me the lotto. You just let me win the powerball. You just give me the mansion. You're the cherry on top. And God's trying to convince you that he's the whole thing this thing is built on. He's not the cherry, he's the cake, he's the frosting, he's the plate that the cake is on, he's the table, he's the floor that the table's on, he's the house. The Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And he owns the hills, and he owns the countryside, and he owns the country, and he owns the planet. He holds the earth in his hand. What do we have? I can't carry that much. I don't have a wingspan like that. But the breadth of God, the width of God, the scale of God, what could he provide that you don't even have the imagination for? He does it in the valley. He leads you next to green grass. I love this. He says he'll, he'll make you lie down in green grass. Now, if you've ever eaten so much that you get the, the food coma after, or you go to buffet, you seven plates, stack them high, I'm proud of it. But you can't get out the booth. You start here. Like when I was little, I just leaned over in the booth. It's like you get so full, you, now you got to rest. See, shepherds would lead their sheep to green grass and they would eat their fill. And because there was so much grass, it was comfortable for them to lay down in it. God wants to provide for you in such a way that you have your fill and you have peace in it. They have rest in it. You have refreshment in it, amen? Second way to find value in the valley, write this down. God is my restoration, I can let him in. God is my restoration, I can let him in not just like into my house or or into our church i want to let him into my soul i want to let him into into my heart it says in psalm 23 3 he restores my soul he guides me in the path of righteousness for the sake of his name he restores my soul see god wants room in your heart because he knows he's the only one who can put it back together God wants you to let your guard down, let the walls of your pride down, not so you're vulnerable for attack, but so you can be vulnerable for restoration. And um, if you're like me, I have the tendency to project my relationships with people onto God. And so because I didn't grow up with a present father, I think that God the father isn't present with me constantly because I've had betrayal in my life. From people that are close to me, surely this God who wants to be close to me, he'll betray me too. Because people have disappointed me with promises that were never fulfilled, if I allow God into my heart to receive his promise, surely he will disappoint me by not fulfilling the promise that he has for my life. Can I remind you of the scripture today? The Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. Any word that comes from the mouth of God is yes and amen. If he says it, it is. If he says it, it's fact. If God says it, that is the truth. There's no lie in him. When God spoke, creation happened. He couldn't help it because whatever he says is. So when God wants to restore your heart, God will actually restore your heart. We don't have to place the image or the emotions of the relationships we have with you and I on God. I can't put my, the face of my dad on my father. I can't put my, the face of my pastor on God. Maybe you're here in this room and you're like, Nate, you don't know what's happened to me. You don't know the hurt I faced. You don't know the trauma I have. The last church I went to, the pastor tore me apart. And any time you place your hope in a person, that will happen. You place your hope in your spouse, it's going to happen. You place your hope in a teacher, in a pastor, a professor, a friend. They will fail you. Put your hope in yourself. You'll fail yourself. How many of us have kept up with our New Year's resolutions? I just have it written in the bottom. My last resolution, don't do my resolutions. So now I feel like I've done something, right? (laughs) This is all of us. We don't do what we want to do, and the things we don't want to do, those are the things that we end up doing. We fail ourselves constantly. And so we project them on God. Please understand that God wants to prove to you. God wants to show you that if you trust him with your heart, not only will he piece it back together again, he'll make it better. See, some of us were like, I don't want to take down the walls of my heart. My past isn't even worth it. God, if you, if you knew what I did yesterday, last year, in my youth, you wouldn't even want to heal my heart. You want to restore my heart so I can do it all over again? As if we're some DIY project that we find on offer up and Resell. See, God isn't about... Um, Restoring the old you. In the Bible, whenever God restores something, he makes it better than the original product. He makes it stronger. He makes it grander. He doubles it. He triples it. He makes it better. He makes it supernatural. So whenever we give our heart to God and he restores it, he's not going like, okay, here's your cute little heart. It's back now. I hope you don't mess it up again this time. He goes, I'm going to prove to you that everything that broke your heart, I've used to make it stronger. That pain you felt in your past, that shame, those moments you were afraid to tell anyone about, I can use those to be the things that give you a platform to tell people about me in your future. Want to know what real healing looks like? It's your ability to talk about and encourage people through the things that used to scare you to tell. I want to give you three quick ways, and I promise they're going to be fast. You want to let God into your heart. Number one, you pray. And prayer, for some of us, it's intimidating because we think it's a shopping list. God, this is what I want. This is what I need. I want that thing. I want that person. I want to go to that place. And God, if you don't do it, then it's on you, and I'll be disappointed with you. So why would we pray? God hasn't shown up in the past when we wanted that thing. Why would I continue to pray? Let me tell you, when you let God in and you continue to pray, it's a conversation. It's not a shopping list. When you begin to pray, you begin to ha- start a relationship with God. When you begin to pray, it's, it's, uh, imagine if my wife, if I only asked things for my wife. Uh, Steph, this is what I need from you. I need you... To cook, clean, I need you to, like, dear God, my marriage would fall apart really fast. But instead, we have conversations. How's your day? What do you need? Are you going through anything right now? How can I be there for you? I wonder if God is saying the same things to you, but we're so busy sharing with him our needs that we can't even hear his grace, his mercy, his comfort, let alone his direction. You want to let God in. It starts. The first step is to pray. Maybe you don't know what to pray. You could just start like this. Uh, Jesus, I don't know what to pray, but I believe you hear me. That's it. That's how you start the conversation. You know when you call a friend, (coughs) you call a friend, and you're like, can you hear me? Are you sure? Hey, I got to step out real quick. The music's too loud, right? I got to get out of here. I got to wait for better reception. Prayer, it's going to feel like that for a little bit. God, can you hear me? God, I need to quiet these voices down a little bit. I need to turn down the music. And all of a sudden, you begin to hear God. And the second way that you uh, let God in is you read the Bible. I know this is super practical, and uh, it's, it's nothing crazy. You, you read the scripture. Because if you want to know what the voice of God sounds like, it sounds like the word of God. So then when you pray, you start to hear God because you know what he sounds like in the word. If you don't know where to start, we have a Bible reading plan, zoechurch.org, backslash, forward slash, one of the slashes. Um, I think it's devotions, and you can jump into our reading plan and, and start right there. But if you want to let God in, you pray, you read the Bible, and this is the hardest part. If you want to let God in, you have to let his people in. So you got to connect with people. Go to a connect group. Sign up for a connect group. I promise you I'm not like shamelessly plugging our connect groups. But I am shamelessly plugging community. And if you want to let God into your heart, God most often speaks through people. So if you want to hear him, get the direction from him, get restoration in your soul, you got to start to build back the bridges of your heart to allow community back in. Amen. I love what it says right here in in James uh, chapter 5. It says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another and you will be healed. If you're still going through cycles of your life, sin keeps on showing up time and time again, disappointment time and time again. It's probably time to confess yourself to someone and allow healing to happen. We go through the valley, not alone, but with the presence of God. And the scary part is, is that when you open up to people, you open up yourself to risk and to be disappointed. And write down point number three. God is with me. I can let him protect. So even when you're vulnerable, David already built it into the scripture. If you open yourself up to other people, God will be there with you to protect you in the valley. Now, I love this, and the band's going to come up here in just a moment. It says this, Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I feared no devil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now, my children, I have a three-year-old Grayson, six-year-old River. They have a strange relationship with shadows, okay? Every night, my three-year-old screams, and he, he only has like two volumes. It's like, Dad. He has a really raspy voice. He's been a smoker since he was young. Dad. <laughs> right? It's like, uh, Dad, can I tell you something? I love you. I'm like, oh, bud, thank you so much. And then there's like, ah, like level 100 screaming. Every night, <coughs> excuse me, every night, Grayson screams. And I have to go into his room. And he points at the same shadow. He's like, Creepy creepy shadow, creepy. He sounds like that. There's no exaggeration. And I have to go over and I have to touch the shadow. I have to move the thing that's making the shadow. I have to convince him that even though it looks scary, there's no substance to the shadow. It might look scary, but it has no sting. This thing can't hurt you. It can't harm you. This shadow, it's just a shadow. Now, my six-year-old is even weirder. Since he was Grayson's age, three, he's uh, developed an unhealthy level of um, uh, competition. And so he races everything, everywhere, all the time, right? Everything's a race. Okay, clean up the room. No, I don't want, it's a race. How fast can you clean it up? And he's zipping, he's cleaning up his room, right? My son, uh, River, if he has no one to race, he races his shadow. He's running like this the entire time. And he's breaking PRs. Like he's, this kid is soaring running away from his shadow. But when he was younger, he didn't know it was his shadow. He kept on saying, Someone's chasing me. He thought that someone was literally chasing him, it was his shadow. And I had to convince him. I had to walk over to the shadow and step on his shadow. I had to stand in front of him so that my shadow could be over his shadow. I had to convince him that even though it's there, there's nothing to be afraid of. Even though it's a shadow, it just represents that there's a light from somewhere else that's casting the shadow. The shadow is just evidence that there's something brighter in the room. I want to convince you, you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. You're not going through the valley of death. It's the shadow of death. It looks scary. It looks like there's a shadow. But God will use anything the enemy intends to intimidate you. He'll use it for your good. So now the very peaks that were scary and intimidating become the shadows and shade you can rest under. I wonder in your lowest moment, if you allow God to protect you, that you could actually find shade in the moments where it feels the darkest. Find rest. Find uh, stillness. In a world that is full of movement, speed, sound. I wonder if God could provide for you rest with the thing that the enemy would try to intimidate you with. Sickness, finances, scarcity, breakup, default. I wonder if you could find rest in God's protection over your life. I think God wants to protect your calling. God wants to protect your dreams. God wants to protect the direction that he has for your life. Amen. Write down this last one. Band, you can come out. Uh, whenever you whenever you'd like to come out, uh, but right now would be great. <laughs> Point number four: God is ahead of me. I can let Him lead. Today, I just want to convince you that there's value in the valley, and it's a different message. We're not just attacking pride, but I hope that you see the value in going low, the value in humility. Today wouldn't be preaching as much as teaching what the scripture is trying to tell us that even in the darkest areas of our life, God is, is near. God is with us. He's gone ahead of us. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies and you have anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. See, God, not only is he with us, this is how big God is. He's gone ahead of us. God has prepared a table. Some some verses say it's a banqueting table in the presence of your enemies. In a, I don't I don't know about you, but when I have people over to my house for dinner, like we clean the house, sweep, we do all the stuff. Like I clean stuff that I know no one's even gonna look at. I'm like, we gotta organize the garage, babe. <laughs> He's like, what are you talking about? We you know we wipe down the tables. We get rid of all the crumbs and all that stuff from our kids. The, you know, Sharpie marks are still there. We can't get those off. We put the table runner out. We go and we get the, you know, we put the the plastic dishes away. We bring out the glass ones. We get the nice silverware. We, we begin to cook earlier in the day. Time brings flavor, just so you guys know. Um, so, we, you know, we, we're cooking earlier in the day. We're preparing things. It's done cooking. We cut it up, we prepare it, we make it look nice, we pour the drinks, we we set the table before anyone is even there to sit down. Then, once people sit down, they can enjoy a feast together and they can enjoy community together. And the reason why we go through this trouble is because we know that the people that are going to sit down at this table have a value that we want to honor. So, in this valley, God goes ahead of you in your darkest moment. Take hope. God is ahead of you. Where you are is not final. This is not the last place you'll be. We don't just sleep in the valley, we go through the valley, we walk through the valley. We don't have to run. God's not in a rush. He took time to prepare. He's not like, we got to get through this thing as fast as possible. He's like, let's take a moment in the middle of the valley around our enemies let's feast together if God's not in a rush to get out of the valley I don't want to be in a rush to get out of the valley I want to leave the valley fully feasted on everything that he has for me I want to encourage you today God's prepared something for you in this season God's prepared something for you and maybe you're at the peak and you're like this I'll never be in the valley again. I'm, I'm just here to tell you, the valley's coming. And if you can see the value of the valley, you'll leave stronger, better, greater, closer to God than you've ever been in your life. Maybe you're in the valley right now. Be encouraged, God's gone ahead of you. He's prepared a table. Don't be so quick to get out of the valley that you miss the feast. I, I can only cook so well. I, I wonder how good... God has it prepared for you. I wonder how how amazing, how at scale God has the table laid out for your future. The last thing, go ahead and stand to your feet this morning. David finishes it and he says, certainly goodness and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. Certainly goodness and and faithfulness will follow me all the days of my life and my dwelling will be in the house of the Lord forever. David ends this valley talk. David ends this valley of the shadow of death and he says, I'm in the valley and following me is goodness and mercy and faithfulness all the days of my life. No matter where you are in the valley, He's your shepherd, and you will have no need. Whether you're stepping in the valley, know that God led you there. If you're in the middle of the valley, know that there's no shadow that can harm you. There's no attack of the enemy that's greater than what Jesus has done for you. Maybe if you're in the middle of the valley and it seems like the darkest, it seems like the scariest, it seems like there's nowhere out, know that God has prepared a table for you to have a feast, to take a hold of everything that you thought was gone, God wants to restore. Remember the valley, it's useful for two things, civilization and expansion. You don't plant vegetation on the peak. You plant it in the valley. So what you thought might have been buried, know that God in the valley will plant it. God in the valley will make it grow. God in the valley will create fruit from it. God in the valley will do what you can never do on your own. Jesus, in his lowest moment, in his deepest valley, he was planted into a grave. He was not buried in the grave. He was planted in the grave. And when he rose out of that grave, he gave us a fruit called everlasting life. I I wonder today if you would take advantage of the value of the valley. And maybe for you, you, you didn't even realize That you're in the valley maybe for you you're realizing right now wow i'm tired i'm exhausted i don't know where my next paycheck is coming from i don't even mean financially i mean like the next time you're going to feel good about yourself the next time you're going to look in the mirror and realize that you have value when's the next time these things are going to come i'm here to tell you right now god in one moment can give you the full value of the valley maybe you're in this room and you've never said yes to jesus